I want to begin this morning by asking you a question. If I were to walk outside this church right now and go to people in this city and surrounding areas and at random ask them, who is God? Do you think that people, for the most part, would be on the same page when answering this question? Or do you think it'd be something more like this? Check out this clip. God is uh, almighty, non-existent. God is eternal. God is a little bit of everything and a little bit of everybody. God is everything that's beautiful, that is good. God is love. 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 I think that's what God's all about. God is Lord. The King of Kings, the Masters of all. My personal Savior. God is the uh, Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Pretty blessed without Him, or nothing. My peace, my joy, my happiness, my healing, my everything. That's the man upstairs. I have no idea. Something that I can't describe. God is female. God is an imaginary creature. <laughs> I do like to believe that there is something else above me that's higher power, that's stronger than anything else and does influence different things. I wouldn't even go so far as to say a higher power because this question for me still goes unanswered. Did God create man or did man create God? God means different things to different people. Whatever you feel uh, God is to you, then that's right. I mean, I think God is a constant, but I think that people experience God in their own way. And so, everybody's experience is different. God is great. Great. A great idea. Caring and looking out for everybody. He's always there for you. If you accept him, he's there for you. All he wants is good for everyone. And he would help me in every situation. Let's say, for instance, my public service bill needed to be paid. He made a way for me to get the funds. I can't say exactly where they came from, and God comes through every time. I don't honestly know how I would describe that to somebody who didn't understand. So I'm not sure I necessarily do. I don't know yet. I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> all right. I think we all can agree that in the world today, there is some confusion about who God is. Am I right? Like this video showed us here. Why? Why all this confusion? Why, why do some people think that God is a, a man upstairs somewhere? Or that God is female? Or that He is everything and everyone? That He is this spiritual Santa Claus who comes through when we need our electric bill paid? Or an imaginary creature? That was an interesting one. Why do others believe him to be non-existent, a ridiculous concept? Why is this the case? Why do people feel in this way? Let me ask you this. Is it because God is silent? Is it because that God has left that question unanswered? Is the reason God is not known is because he has not made himself known, nor does he want to be known? Well, this morning we're going to answer this question 
And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you from the Word of God, from the Scriptures, the overwhelming amount of evidence that we have that shows that our God is a speaking God. He is a revealing God. He is a God who wants to be known. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. And as you're turning there, let me bring you up to speed with where we're going to be this morning. The book of Acts is about the spread of the gospel across the known world and the growth of the early church. And the book is, is it's been divided in all sorts of ways, but it can be divided into two halves. The first half of the book focuses mainly upon the Apostle Peter's ministry to mostly Jews and some Gentiles. And in the latter half of the book, the focus is upon the Apostle Paul's ministry to mostly Gentiles and some Jews. And by Acts 17, we are well into Paul's ministry. And this chapter tells us of his mission trip to Athens. Now, unlike with Peter, who was mostly dealing with a, a, a Jewish audience who had somewhat of an understanding of the God of the Scriptures, many that Paul ministered to did not, especially those he ministered to in Athens. Though the Athenians were very religious, they didn't have the background that the Jewish people had. So many of them had heard very little, if anything, about the God of the Bible and His Son, Jesus. But as I said, they were very religious. And they wanted to be careful not to leave any religious belief out. They wanted to make sure that they had the market cornered when it came to religious beliefs and practices. So within their city, they had erected in this city, all over the city, all of these altars to different kinds and types of gods. And they even had one altar that had been set up, and it was to the unknown god. You see, they were so religious that... They had made one altar to any gods that they might have left out. It was kind of like a, a catch-all God. Well, in Acts 17, Paul comes strolling into town, and he sees this altar addressed to this unknown God, and Paul comes to tell them about the God they do not know. He comes to make this unknown God known to them. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at some key points from Paul's message to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17. Now we're going to do things a little bit different than normal in that we're not going to go word by word, verse by verse through this. We are going to be preaching through Acts next year, so we're going to cover this chapter in in great detail when we get to it but what I want to do this morning is I just want to kind of highlight this passage here and I want to show you from this passage three ways God makes himself known to us notice first the first way God makes himself known is through creation through creation look at Acts Chapter 17, verse 24 through 25. Paul says to the Athenians, 
The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. What an incredible statement right there. Paul is speaking to a group of people who believed in many gods. They believed in a rain god. They believed in a sun god. They believed in a moon god. In Paul's message to them, he tells them here that there are not all these different kinds and types of gods who've made all these different things and who are in control of all these different elements in creation. He says, no, there is one God who made the world and everything in it. There is one God who made everything. He also says in verse 25, not only did he create the sun and the moon and the stars, the land and the waters and so on, but he also created every living thing. People included. You see, they were creating gods that they could manipulate and control. And he says, no, 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 no. God created everything. To answer that guy's question, we began with God, right? He didn't begin with us. He says, God gives life to all mankind, breath to everything. So there are not all these different gods who are responsible for these various things. There is one God who created all things. Paul is saying, the God you do not know is the God who has created everything and he's made himself known in creation notice look he explains in verse 27 why god creates he establishes the fact that god creates and then he explains why verse 27 that they should seek god and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him folks you ever wonder why god creates here's your answer right here he does it so that he might be known so that people might know him god creates because he wants to be known and he wants to be known by us and that's the reason why we create things as well right we're created in god's image in that way one way which we're in his images we we are creative people right we're creative we make things and oftentimes we do so and put our name on it so that we can be known am i right my girls love to do this. My girls love to, to draw. They love to color. And whenever they do, they write their name on it. And they say, Mom, put this up on the refrigerator. Dad, put this up in your office. Some of you have probably noticed Edie bring me, she'll bring me some of her art projects from Sunday school and be like, Dad, keep this and never throw it away, ever. Put it up in your office. I've got a pile of Edie's stuff, her artwork. She puts her name on it. The reason why, one of the reasons why, is because she wants those who see it to see her name on it and know that she is the one who drew it. She's the one who, who made it. And again, this is a point Paul's making here. He says, God has created all that is, and he's put his stamp on it so that when we look at it, we know that there is a creator, that he, 
he made all that is. David said in, in Psalm 19.1, he says, The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. And God has made it in that way. He's put his stamp on it so that we would look to him and know that he made it. God has created all that is and us so that we might know him. He has created the heavens and the earth in such a way with such skill that we would look to it and see his glory in it. He has put creation on display so that we might know him. Folks, think about this. We stroll through God's art gallery every day. You ever thought about that? Next time you're taking a drive and you're taking in the beautiful scenery here in East Texas, next time you're in, you know, at Love's Lookout or you're driving along one of the many back roads that we have here, aligned with beautiful trees, or, or the next time, you know, Casey, you're on the lake watching the sunrise or the sunset, you should remember Psalm chapter 19, verse 1. Remember that creation declares God exists and that he is glorious. Now, here's the question I have for you. If God has spoken in and through creation, then why doesn't everyone hear it and respond to it? Well, believe it or not, Paul answers that for us in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Look at it up on the screen here. Look at what Paul says, Romans 18... Romans 1, 18 through 20. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So here's what Paul's saying here. Follow this line of logic here. This is This is the line of logic he uses. He says, since the beginning, God has clearly made himself known to people in creation. But here's the problem. Notice verse 18. People have taken that and they have suppressed that truth. They have have pushed it down. They have smothered it. That word suppress carries with it the picture of what someone does to a jack-in-the-box. They have pushed it down and they have they have boxed up that truth and the reason why is because people don't like the idea of there being someone over them a god over them a god that precedes them a god that they have to answer to because we're a prideful people right let's just be honest we don't want anybody calling the shots in our life we want to be the authority We don't like thinking that there is someone else out there calling the shots. Someone else out there who precedes us, who's over us. So we suppress the truth. Or we do like what the Athenians did. We create little gods that we can control and manipulate to do our bidding. Listen to what Ravi Zacharias said. 
Some people refuse to believe in God because admitting he exists means having to answer to their creator. Right on. That's so true. Paul says because this is the case, people have taken the truth about God and they've suppressed it. They have exchanged it for something that's false. He says, therefore, all are without excuse in Romans 1. No one will be able to have an excuse in the end. No one will be able to claim ignorance in that day because God's word tells us that his revelation revealed to us is knowledge enough for us to be held accountable. That's why Paul says, all are without excuse. Now here's where we run into a big problem. Though suppressing the truth of God's existence as it is seen in creation is enough for us to be held accountable. Follow me here. Though, though those who suppress the truth of God's existence in creation are without excuse, get this, the truth of God's existence in creation is not sufficient enough to lead one, to a saving knowledge of God. Let me repeat that. This is the problem. Those suppressing the truth of God's existence as it is seen in creation is enough for one to be held accountable before God. The truth of God's existence as it is seen in creation is not sufficient enough to lead one to a saving knowledge of God. In other words, if, if we just had creation and nothing else, we would not have enough to be saved. Which is why God has made himself known to us in another way as well. Not only has God made himself known in creation, but he also makes himself known by giving us his word. God makes himself known in his word. Look at Acts 17, 17. Luke says this of Paul. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Now, though we said earlier that Paul ministered primarily to the Gentiles with the non-Jewish folks, his greater strategy was to take the gospel message to any and everyone who would hear it. And that should be something we apply to our lives, right? Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And, and here, in verse 17, Luke reports for us that, that Paul's typical strategy when entering into a city was he, when, when he would go into a town like Athens, he would first stop by the synagogues. He went to the Jewish people first because they were somewhat knowledgeable of the scriptures they had a decent understanding of the god of the scriptures so paul would go to them and he would use their scriptures to show christ to them he would show them how christ is the fulfillment of all the promises that god has made through his kings and his priests and his prophets you see in the synagogue they they believed and they taught that the Old Testament, they, they taught it and they believed that it was God's word that was given to them, that it was authoritative, 
And Paul would go to them and basically say, you know what, I believe that too. And he would go on and share with them how Christ was the fulfillment of all the promises that God made to Adam and to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to Moses and to David and so on. And some will say, well, that makes sense that he'd do that for the Jews, right? Because they had the scriptures. That makes sense that he would go and use the scriptures with them. But what did he use for the non-Jewish people? He used the scriptures for the Jews. They're already reading it. What do he use for the non-Jewish people? The scriptures. He used the scriptures. Again, we're told in verse 17 that, that when Paul reasoned in, in Athens, he reasoned with both the Jews in the synagogues and the, the Gentiles in the marketplace, and he reasoned with them by using the word of God. Now, he had a different approach. With the Jews, Paul played on the fact that they accepted the scriptures, they just misunderstood them, and they missed Christ. With the Gentiles, Paul appealed to the fact that they were very religious, yet ignorant of the true God and of the truth. But for both, Paul used the scriptures. Why? Get this, folks. People will not come to a saving knowledge of God without this. Paul understood that. He understood that. He even taught that. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word. Why? Why does saving knowledge come through hearing the word of God? Because through God's word, he has given us, get this, all the information that that we need to, to know him, all that we need to be saved, all that we need to live a life that's pleasing to him. God has put his stamp on creation, and creation reveals that God exists, and then we're to go from there to his word, and that's where he fills in the blanks for us about who he is. Get this, if you wanted to know something about someone who lived hundreds of years ago, though you could gather information from a picture you had of that person, think about this, the information that you would gather from that picture would be incomplete, would it not? And and you may even make certain assumptions from that picture that might be incorrect but let's say you had a picture and then alongside that picture you had a five to seven hundred page autobiography along with that picture that'd be different wouldn't it same is true with god though we can know he exists by observing the world he created if we were to stop there which many do the picture we would have of him would be incomplete and many of the assumptions one might make about him would be incorrect like we saw in the video we saw earlier that's why we need god's word his word is what leads us to a saving knowledge of him it's what leads us to saving faith so that we can enter into a right relationship with him and come to truly know him creation cannot do that it stops short of that now again creation can convince us that god exists but if one does not go from there again to his word 
They will not, they cannot come to repentance in faith. Let me summarize this, okay? Just in case you missed it. The message that God speaks through his created world does not lead to saving knowledge of him, but the message he speaks through his word does. You with me? That's why we need God's special revelation. That's why we need his word. And that's why, folks, we must treasure it more than anything else. And we must share it with those we come in contact with. Listen to what David said in Psalm 19. He says, God's word is to be desired more than gold. Even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. In other words, God's word is to be desired more than the finest of foods and more than all the money in the world because it leads us to a saving knowledge of God. So we've learned so far, God makes himself known through creation. He makes himself known in his word. Notice third and finally, he makes himself known also through his son. Through his son. Notice the topic of Paul's message in Acts chapter 17, verse 18. We're told he, Paul, was preaching who? Jesus and the resurrection. Jesus was the main subject of Paul's sermons. He was the main message that both he and other apostles preached. And, and this was the, the, the message that they preached. They taught that, that Jesus is God, yet he became a man and he came to earth and he, and he lived for us and he died for us on the cross and he rose from the grave and he appeared to many. Many of the apostles would often say, I've witnessed these things. I've seen the risen Christ and I've been commissioned by him and I've been sent by him to tell you of his person and work and to make you aware of your sinfulness and your need of him and to call for you to turn from that sin and trust in Christ alone for your salvation. This was the message of Paul. This was the message of the apostles. Their, their message was that God has made himself known by stepping into the world in which he created. The second person of the Trinity, God the Son, has stepped down into the world in which he created and he became one of us, folks. That's how passionate God is about being known. He has entered into this world. He's taken on flesh and blood and he's moved into the neighborhood. Not only has he created us, not only has he spoken to us through his word, but God has sent his son to become one of us to accomplish salvation for us so that we through him could be brought back to God. There's a great song, an old school song by Third Day called Love Song. And in this song are, are these lyrics. It says, I've heard it said that a man would climb a mountain just to be with the one he loves. I've heard it said that a man would swim the ocean just to be with the one he loves. And the point 
of that song is all of those statements are, are, are merely metaphorical. Nobody actually ever really does that, right? No, no one literally climbs the highest mountain and swims the ocean to be with the one he loves. That's just inexact, figurative, and metaphorical language to express an emotion. Though it sounds nice, it's metaphorical, right? But they make the point in the song that God has actually gone to great extremes to be with us. Jesus has gone to great lengths to save us. Now, he didn't swim the deepest ocean. He didn't climb the highest mountain, but he did walk on the raging sea, and he walked the hill of Calvary. That's what he's done for us, much greater. He has chosen to not stay removed from us. He could have. Because of our sin, he would have been just in doing so. He could have stayed removed from us, but instead he condescended down to us. He came down to our level. He became one of us. Think about that for a minute. The creator of the universe who put the sun in place, who knows the stars by number and name, chose to be born in a barn in Bethlehem, in a horse trough where the animals stay. The one who spoke the world into existence chose to identify with us to such an extent that he became a little cooing and gooing baby. That's the extent God went to to identify with us. He identified with us by growing up in the average home and walking the streets with the common man. He hung out with fishermen and tax collectors and sinners and even allowed himself to be identified with the lowliest of criminals and allowed himself to be punished and executed with them. He died a painful death on a shameful cross for us. Our sins which separated us from God were paid for by him on the cross. That's the extent God has gone to to identify with us. Now, why would he do that? Why speak to us in creation? Why speak to us in his word? Why speak to us through the person and work of his son? Why? Simple. God wants to be known. He wants to be known. And he wants to be followed by us. Folks, the Bible teaches this very, very clearly. God wants us to hear him, and he wants us to respond to him. And the question you need to ask yourself this morning is this. Are you listening? Are you responding to God? God is not silent. He is a speaking God. Is he not? Yes, he is. He's gone to great lengths to make himself known. Are you listening? Are you hearing him? And will you respond to his son by making him the Lord of your life? I pray that you do today. Let's pray.